Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About This? I'm your host, Amberlee from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Be Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Today, we chat to Sarah, who is a mama of two-year-old Leo and is currently pregnant after experiencing three devastating miscarriages and later diagnosed with unexplained infertility or otherwise secondary infertility. One in eight couples actually experience fertility issues, although secondary infertility makes up for 50% of those couples. One in four women under 35 experience miscarriage. So today we brought Sarah on to talk about her emotional and frustrating time trying for a second baby and the shame, grief and loss she has experienced. We need to be addressing the lack of awareness and support for unexplained infertility and miscarriage. Okay, so Sarah, let's just start from the beginning. So how was your entry into motherhood? So my entry into motherhood with Leo my firstborn, we fell really quickly and it was like such a smooth textbook pregnancy. I didn't have any issues. I wasn't sick at all. My birth, it wasn't bad, I would say. It was harder than what I expected. I had a natural birth, which was what I wanted. And I had a pretty quick labor. I think it was like five, five and a half hours. But then afterwards, like I tore, I had pretty bad second degree tearing. And that was the thing that I think I struggled the most with and getting stitched up was for me was really traumatic you know there was like tension between the doctor and the nurse the doctor wasn't telling me and she was just like jabbing this anesthetic into me without saying anything and the midwife was like you know how are you gonna you know tell her what you're doing and the doctor was just like "Uh, isn't that what you're there for yeah it was just an awkward situation to be in oh my goodness and I had the natural birth so I didn't have any anesthetic and then she was trying to give me the gas but I couldn't deal with the gas so it was just like full-on pain and although I couldn't feel the surface stitching I could feel like all the yanking and the pulling and yeah it was awful and it was awful because of the length too like she was it was for well over an hour yeah halfway through I like started going into shock where I just was like shaking uncontrollably and I remember at one point thinking like she's gotta nearly be done like it has to be you know nearly done it's been so long now and I remember thinking in my head I'm gonna ask are you nearly halfway just so I don't get disappointed and I said so are you nearly halfway and then she said um yeah nearly halfway And honestly, in that moment, I was just like, (laughs) like, how am I going to get through what I've already done? It was like, yeah, really hard. There were some stitches too where she said like that the stitches would hurt just as much as the anesthetic. So she just did them with nothing. And And you didn't have your baby with you or Nick with you? Yeah. So they were next to me, but because Nick was holding Leo, he wasn't holding my hand. So that was, I was holding the midwife's hand. Which was good because for me, that's what I just, I just needed to like squeeze someone's hand really hard and just like focus on the pain. And that's how I got through it. That was also hard having Nick been there 
through the whole labor and everything to then that was kind of my first thing where I struggled too with after Leo was born with how it changed the dynamic in our relationship I don't think anyone really prepares you for that like they say oh you know your life is going to change for me I really struggled with that because I went from if we walked somewhere we would always hold hands whereas when we had Leo one of us would have the baby one of us would have the baby back and then like in the car we would always sit in the front and put our hands on each other's legs but then I would sit in the back with Leo and then like I think Nick said that he thought he was getting sick so he didn't want to sleep in the room with us. You know, I just felt like I was doing all of this by myself. And even with breastfeedings, I just felt like I was at Leo's beck and call and nothing belonged to me anymore. And I just was missing Nick so much. And because you can't have sex in those first six weeks too, that for me, like I was really missing that intimacy with him. Like I really struggled with that. And I think that when I was getting stitched up too, that was like the first part of it happening I also got really bad hemorrhoids I didn't even know what hemorrhoids were before I gave birth it's usually how it works I did notice though I said to Nick one day we have a pretty open close relationship and I just remember coming to him and being like dude I have a butt flap (laughs) like what what the hell how can you just develop a butt flap what is that And then like as the pregnancy progressed, I got another one and I was like, I I have two. And then during labor, all the pushing just brought them out. So that like was a whole new thing to me too. Not only was I sore from all my stitches, then I had hemorrhoids. So like, so any of your antenatal appointments, like you'd never mentioned this or nobody picked it up? I never really thought to mention that I had a butt flap to my midwife. And so then you would never screen for it either. Yeah. Yeah. If I knew you know there are things that you can do like creams and things to lessen it you know so it was really hard that and also Leo we got discharged really quickly I think we were out within eight or nine hours because I went through the birth center you know that's something that they just do it's like known that you're in and out really quickly despite your second degree tear yeah I just knew that that Mm. was coming sort of thing and I I accepted it because that was like my trade-off for going through the birth center and then I gave birth to Leo at like three in the morning and then I was discharged at around lunchtime and I wish I had said no I want to stay why why well (laughs) so Leo has Nick's blood type not mine and mine is not compatible Mm. with his and then so my blood was eating his blood during the birthing process and all like because the baby blood gets eaten but if it gets eaten too quickly which it was because mine was not compatible with his then they get jaundice but we didn't know this at the time of discharge so when we got discharged too he fed at like 4 a.m in the morning then we got discharged at around lunchtime. Leo hadn't fed from 4 a.m. until lunchtime. The midwife had just changed over, but I was also annoyed looking back that that midwife didn't ask me, has he fed yet? Because that's a pretty long time for a newborn not to feed. And you're a new mum. Yeah. You're still trying to understand breastfeeding and how it works. and yeah. yeah. So then we go home and then my parents were there. My grandparents came over to see Leo. <gasps> yeah. I mean, how lovely, <laughs> but also. <ooh>. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, at the time I was okay with, even though I was so tired. I remember them trying to give me, you know how they have to give you all those 
I don't know, the pediatrician has to see you and then like the physio has to see you and they like are running through stuff. I remember literally being like just trying to keep my eyes open when I was talking to them because I was so tired. Like I went into labor at night time. So I'd gone the whole day without sleeping, then the whole night and then we're into the second day without sleeping. Plus you've just gone through labor. It's quite like running a marathon. So I was dead. But anyway, so we have like all my family at the house. I love them, but they're all like older and everyone's telling me, oh, you know, like it's so good that he's sleeping so well. Like, oh, never wake a sleeping baby, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know any different. So this is like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. He's going on 12 hours without having fed. And then we get a call from the hospital and they tell us about this condition that he has. And then Um. Nick said, oh, he hasn't fed since 4 a.m. And then the doctor was like, get to the emergency. Like now you need to go. Mm. So the birth center that I went through was at the Royal, but Redcliffe Hospital was actually closer so we went to Redcliffe and I knew it was serious when we got to the emergency and the room was like packed full of people and we were admitted straight away then I was like this is bad so once we were there like he ended up feeding at about seven o'clock at night but that's a really long time to go without a feed and then Leo was admitted but not me so I was able to stay Mm. with him luckily but I wasn't in their care. So they like weren't meant to give me pain medication or anything, you know. And I just remember like every time I stood up, I just felt this gush of blood coming out and things Mm -hmm. like that. It was just such a full on experience. If I'd stayed at hospital, I feel like it would have been picked up sooner that he hadn't fed and I would have been under their care. They would have, you know, helped me more. Well, you would have been resting in bed. Yeah, yeah, or even that, sleeping. Mm. Yeah, but this is like a full-on two days we've had. And then even like I felt so bad for Nick because then he he drove home at 9 o'clock at night after going like 48 hours without sleeping. And then I was, you know, worried about him getting home all right and things like that. So that was pretty full on. And then because, again, because we went in hospital, we had to go back and forth every day to get his Billy Rubin checked, like to make sure that he wasn't, I mean, he was, he had jaundice. That's why this whole thing created jaundice. And we just had to keep checking his levels. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the first week of having a baby, having to drive 45 minutes to a hospital when you've got second degree tearing and hemorrhoids and then having yes. all that time like waiting at the hospital and, you know, when all you want to do is sleep. Yeah. So that was pretty full on. <laughs> so what about your recovery then? You, you feel that you healed and recovered quite quickly or quite well yeah looking back after about two weeks although I wasn't like a hundred percent I just didn't even touch down there like every time I went to the toilet I just went and had a shower it made me feel sick with the stitches and stuff as well and the hemorrhoids too they just sort of fixed themselves I did have cream though after I worked out what I had and I guess in my mind only two-ish weeks of not great it also helped me to be like okay it was pretty bad but at the end of the day it was two weeks you know where it was bad and then you can sort of get on with life it's like it was bad because you didn't receive the care that you needed I think that's what's frustrating despite 
the length of time that it was bad, it shouldn't have happened that way. Yeah, no, I agree. I just even, yeah, like I said, if I just spent one night in hospital, I feel like it would have been so different. My my experience would have been so different, yeah. And so how long was it then before you thought, oh, let's try for number two? So we always talked about having our kids really close. We always imagined them having them really close together. So it was pretty much straight away. I remember though, because Leo was born in March, we just didn't want to have two babies in the same year. Looking back now, that seems so silly to think of that. But I remember (laughs) you messaging me and telling me these things and I was like dying. (laughs) (laughs) So pretty much as soon as we could start, like I hadn't got my period back, but we weren't using protection. And then I think I got my period back when I was like, (laughs) when Leo was like four months old. I was very naive at that point because I'd obviously heard about women struggling to fall pregnant, but I'd never heard about struggling for the second. And I'd always heard of, you know, people struggling for the first and then the second one just happening, you know, people having to go through IVF and then just having one naturally. It wasn't even a thing for me. I never even thought that it would happen, that we wouldn't be able to fall pregnant straight away I wasn't even expecting to get my period you know I just thought that oh we'll just fall pregnant and I won't even get my period sort of thing so when I did get my period I was like I was a little bit shocked I was like oh but then I was like okay well I mean that's great now that we can like start trying and sort of roughly when I'll be ovulating so it didn't go to plan (laughs) and so when did you seek support for your fertility you said that they'd said to you that you had secondary infertility. So how was that explained to you and what answers did you kind of get from them? So I first went to the doctors after we'd been trying for about six months and the doctor was very, I'll say like blasé about it, but in a positive sense, like she just didn't really say anything of it. And then the month after I saw her, we fell pregnant for the first time. So I went, got the test done and everything. And then we only knew for like not even a week. And then I started bleeding. And at first I wasn't too worried about it because it was quite light blood. And I'd heard of so many women who had bleeding during early early pregnancy. But Nick was really worried because I didn't have it with Leo and he got me to call up the doctor and stuff. And then we went out for that day and I remember going to the toilet and it was heavy blood and I just knew that I'd had a miscarriage so we went to the doctors after that and she sent me for an internal and I remember because I was only like I don't even think I was six weeks then and I remember the the sonographer she um when she saw how like my gestation she was like this is too early why did they even send you like we would never see anything anyway. She she asked me, how do you know it's not just your period? And I just remember thinking like false positives, unless you're taking hormones of almost non-existence in pregnancy tests these days. And I just remember thinking like there was no empathy there at all. Because of the gestation age? Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like it was because of that. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is when you find out you're pregnant, you're already like projecting into the future and thinking about the baby that's going to be there. You know, you're not thinking about cells. You're thinking about the baby. Yes, and this is your baby. Yeah, Yeah. so I was like that was pretty hard (laughs) that she just was so cold about it. So we fell pregnant like maybe two or 
two months after the first miscarriage, we fell again. And at that point, because I did so much research, I remember also my doctor saying after the miscarriage was confirmed, she said, oh, well, at least now we know you can fall pregnant. You know, so the infertility side of it for her was nothing. Right. And then she also said, and also, you know, the month after you've had a miscarriage is when you're the most fertile, which I I know she was trying to be a positive, but for me it was like, oh, well, it's going to happen, you know, like it has to happen straight after. And then when it didn't, it was just like, why isn't this happening, you know? And then so when it did happen though, because I'd done so much research and all the research said that while miscarriage is extremely common, two in a row is not. They had the percentages of how common miscarriage is and then it like drops down. It was like in the 60s. I think percent. I remember it dropping down to like in the teens. So it was very small percentage of having two in a row. So it wasn't even on my radar. And then because I remember we told my parents really quickly too. I told my brother like it was a it was like a confirmed thing for me because I'd been through that miscarriage. Like it wasn't it it had happened to me. It's not going to happen again, you know. And then so when I had the second one, it was really really hard because it just. I wasn't expecting it at all. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I remember we were up in Townsville at that point. So it was a different doctor. And I remember calling up, you know, trying to get an appointment. And I just broke down because it was then and there. And she ended up, she got me in straight away, which was really nice. She was really helpful and really understanding the receptionist. And then the doctor that I saw, because it was during COVID too, so I was by myself because you were only allowed like the one person to go I remember him like because I had to sort of explain everything that had happened beforehand I hadn't yet gone to get a blood test because of my first experience you know I was like putting it off and then I remember him saying to me oh well judging by your reaction I'll take you as telling the truth (laughs) I was just like what like why would someone ever make that up (laughs) I was like I was bawling my eyes out how did you interpret that? What does that even mean? Just because I hadn't had the blood test, you know, to confirm it, then he was taking my word for it that I actually was pregnant. Oh, so you're pregnant and it's not just your period, like the whole that whole I thing don't know. again? Oh, my. Yeah. And then so after the second one too, he then sent me to get the test and I still had the pregnancy hormone in my blood. So then obviously he knew I wasn't lying. <laughs> well, it's not common to have two in a row it's not uncommon enough to be classed as having recurrent miscarriages so I was like then in limbo because none of the tests are like subsidized or anything like that you can't really get the help or support that you need because you're not in that category yet so I was definitely in limbo after the second one and then I think it was another two or three months and I wanted to go and see a fertility specialist so I got a referral to go and see a fertility specialist, but then we found out we were pregnant again. So I went to a different doctor. So he did all the tests and stuff. And I, I was explaining it to him because I got the referral over the phone. So I didn't know which doctor it was. And when I was explaining it to him, he's like, I'm so happy. Like I was the one that did the fertility referral for you. And that straight away was really nice that he, I mean, it was probably on his computer, but for me, it made me feel like he was invested in me and the fact that he's like I was I'm so happy for you you know it was really nice and so we got the test that's what you call support (laughs) 
as simple as saying that. <laughs> then obviously we had a third miscarriage. So when I went back to him, I just remember him being so empathetic. And it was the first time that I'd felt like someone that wasn't invested in my life actually cared. I really liked that doctor. Unfortunately, he's still in Townsville. <laughs> he was asking me about, you know, how I was going and everything. He gave me his like card so I could just call him at any point. I wasn't ready when I first had the bleeding. I just wasn't ready to go to the doctor the first day because I just, I couldn't deal with it then and there even though I knew I just didn't want to hear it it's like if you go if yeah if you go to the doctor it's real it's really happening and then when I did go he asked me like when it had started and stuff and he's like so wait you don't know that you've had a miscarriage and I was like well I mean I do (laughs) but I don't know that the baby's for sure I haven't had the test but I know and he's like no like you need to go to the hospital like there's a chance I know like sometimes this does happen and if we catch it there are things that we can do and even that I just felt like was really supportive and so I then went to the hospital where they confirmed the third miscarriage but that was really nice to get that support and after that I went and saw a fertility specialist actually no they did all the tests because then I was in the recurrent miscarriage category so they did all the tests which all came back normal (laughs) and they said there's no real reason for this to happen so that's when I went to the fertility specialist he explained it like he did more tests actually that same GP he was really good because he's he's like when you your first appointment with the fertility specialist they're just going to do lots of tests so I'll do them for you he like made sure it was all bulk build so that was really nice too And then he said that one in six pregnancy ends in miscarriage. So if you think about it like rolling a die, although it's uncommon to roll three sixes, it's not impossible. And unfortunately, that's what's happened in this case. And then after that, it was quite a long time. I think it was another, at least another six months before we fell again. So I was like, there's an infertility issue here. And I'd heard there's only two fertility specialists in Townsville <laughs> and um, or two that people talk about anyway. So I was like, well, I'll go and see the other one. So I went and saw him and I remember asking him about the fertility side of it. And he just said, well, you've fallen pregnant three times in 12 months. That's really good odds. That's not infertility. If people fall once in two years, that's good odds. So he just like fobbed that off. And I remember also because I had all these tests that had been done, I had all the copies of them. So I had the copies that my GP did. And then I had the stuff from the, from the hospital. When I was explaining like the whole history of it, I was saying how, you know, we'd gone and said, seen the fertility specialist and he's like oh so you've already seen one he sort of made me feel like I shouldn't have wanted a second opinion and then when I he's like what are these tests and I was like oh they're from the hospital and he's like oh so you've seen the hospital as well and I was like well yeah I had to go to the hospital and then I remember at the end of that appointment he because I said oh did you need these or will I take them like all my results and stuff and he's like oh yeah you better take them for when you see the next person I just remember thinking what a prick like there was no I just felt like there was no sensitivity around the whole situation it just really annoyed me because 
you know, I was paying over 300 bucks to see him for like not even half an hour, just humor me and say, you know, I'm really sorry that this is happening to you. We can, we're going to try and do all the tests that we can. You've already got a lot done. So, you know, that's great. There are a couple more that we can do and we'll really try to get to the bottom of this. What does it hurt to say that? Like, I just don't see the point. And I'm not the only person in the world that's ever like wanted a second opinion. I don't think it's like crazy of me to ask for a second opinion. Yeah, if anything, that's what we should be doing. So actually after that experience, I was sort of done with fertility specialists and I'd done so much research and it was, I think it was one, maybe even a couple of months after I saw that last fertility specialist that I came across this article about secondary infertility because they'd they'd just diagnosed me with unexplained infertility, I guess. So they had never said to you secondary infertility? No, because to them it wasn't infertility that we couldn't fall pregnant. Like it was only unexplained infertility in regards to the miscarriages happening. So, yeah, no, they never said secondary infertility but I remember reading the article and I was just like so happy that finally you know there was a thing it's like an answer for you yeah because up until that point it's like but you know we didn't have any trouble with Leo like it shouldn't be happening now like there has to be something wrong why can't you find the thing that's wrong and you know to like go through that too because I remember after the third although I was hoping that it wouldn't happen in the back of my head, I was like, worst case, then, you know, we can find the, we can find the issue, we can find the problem, and we can fix it. And then for them to say that it was unexplained, it was like, how can, how can it be unexplained, you know? Yeah. And so when I was reading about the secondary infertility, I was just like, okay, so it is a thing. There are others that have struggled with this. And, and I just remember it saying like, a big thing can be guilt, people with secondary infertility can struggle can really struggle with the guilt side because they've got one child already they should be happy to have that one child but they find themselves longing for another one so it's like almost sort of like your child isn't good enough to just be content and then it was also saying they struggle to fit in because you you don't fit in with people struggling for, with infertility because you have a child, you know, and it's not the same because they don't have a child. But then you don't fit in with families that have multiple children either. And it's it's not by choice, you know, it's not like I just want was one and done sort of thing. And then it was also saying people that struggle with infertility, often they just don't want to have anything to do with babies or children. And, you know, they go on a holiday or, you know, they go to a couple's retreat you know, something where they're just not going to even have that in their heads. But people with secondary infertility, it's impossible to get away with. You know, you're always going to the park. You're always seeing families with multiple children. You're always seeing pregnant women. But your mum friends, yeah, you're right in that world. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like also a really difficult side of it. I just remember the one thing that it did say that I found comfort in was that couples with secondary infertility almost always go on to have a second child so that was comforting and that's always what the hospital and the infertility specialist said they said and even the doctors they said well you have one child already you have the same partner so it's not that your genes aren't matching up or anything you know that you can carry a child to full gestation so that was always really comforting to them that 
if you've done it once, you can do it again sort of thing. But obviously when you're going through it at the time and it's not happening, I guess it is a little bit comforting, but it's still, it doesn't make the journey any easier because it's not happening for you when you want it to happen, you know? But yeah, so the secondary infertility side of things, I was, that's like a self-diagnosis. <laughs> and so where was your head at then? finding this article after your third miscarriage? I was so happy that I finally had a name for it, that I could just, I knew what I had sort of thing. The unexplained side though was hard because I want to know why. Often in articles it said with unexplained infertility, it's often because they just haven't found the answer yet. So that's always in the back of my head too, that it's like, well, you know, have they just not dug hard enough? Like, should we be doing more tests and things like that? Because this was quite a long time into the whole journey of things at like at least 18 months into it, I think. Yeah. So I went through a phase where, well, we're just going to take the science out of this then. Like I had a very regular period and I did ovulation tests and it was always on the day that it said there was like pretty much no question about it. But I was like, well, I'm just going to get ovulation medication so that we know that it's that day and then it has to happen, you know, like how can it not if you know that it's that day? And then so I was talking to my GP about it and then I was doing like heaps of research about that too. I remember reading an article about the statistics of using ovulation drugs as opposed to not using ovulation drugs and the couples that did use it, 51% of them fell pregnant. The couples that didn't use it, 49% fell pregnant. So slightly better, but then the rate of miscarriage was higher in the couples that did use the ovulation drugs and I remember at that point that was my turning point where I was like you know what I can just like keep throwing money at this like they'll they're always going to take my money but I don't think I'm going to get any answers you know and I don't think it's going to help in the long run I just had to accept that that's the way it was you know I wasn't going to have my kids at the age gap you know that I wanted And I just had to be okay with that because stressing about it was like doing the opposite of helping because, you know, often it can prevent you from falling pregnant and stuff. So that was like a turning point for me. And I think I don't think I would have been able to come to that point either without having gone through that whole journey. You know, people say like, oh, you know, just don't think about it. It'll happen sort of thing. But unless... I've done like all the investigating and know that there's like no more that I can do. I don't think I would have been able to come to that point of just Mm. pure acceptance. So it's still quite raw for you, Sarah. You still just talking about it. Yeah. It's like you're not reliving it, but it's, it's all coming up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a highly emotional person to begin with. It might get a little bit easier, but it's never going to go away. You know, it's still like, it doesn't go away when you fall pregnant again, or it doesn't go away when you have a baby. Like you've still had those experiences and it's still, it's hard. Yeah. I think like every time I talk about it too, you carrying all this emotion and Every time you share it with someone, it's like they, you know, take a little piece to carry with them, you know, so yours isn't so heavy. So I think. Oh, I love that. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I think you're amazing because, yeah, it was kind of, it is so true, particularly with secondary infertility. You know, you, you're you walking around the shops with your little one that you already have and you're carrying this invisible burden of longing and wanting for more, but then having this fear that it potentially couldn't happen or that you have to re-experience the three that you've already had. Uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine how that would look day to day internally, you know, inside your head, inside your heart. I think that would yeah. be really difficult. Yeah, it was. It was honestly really hard. I went through, I was in a really bad place for a long time, you know. I think after the third, that's when it got really bad. And because, you know, every month that goes by, it's like gets worse and worse because it's like, why, why is it not happening? You know, and I, it was really bad. Like to start off with, I didn't really realize, you know, but I got to a point where then I would catch myself stressing and it would happen like 30 times a day. And I would wake up like in a jolt as if I'd had a nightmare from me stressing and it was just consuming, you know, and it just, it consumes all of you because people, again, people say, don't think about it and it will happen. Well, how can you not think about the thing that you want most in the world? And then every month you get your period. So it's a reminder, hey, you're not pregnant. It's a little bit hard not to think about it. I I was so in tune with my body and I, I knew when I was ovulating. So how can I you know, not think about that. I'm not going to not have sex when I'm ovulating because that's my chance, you know? And then it just consumes your sex life because it's like you, you're forcing, like neither of us would be in the mood to have sex, but you have to do it. So then it becomes a chore. Uh, the, the very first doctor, she did a blood test and she's like, I'll tell you when you're ovulating. She gave me a week's window. So then we're just having sex every day for a whole week. Like, I don't know how many people have sex every day for a whole week, but on the sixth and seventh, well, before that, honestly, like after the third day, we're just like, we want to snuggle. Like, I don't want to have sex. So like, that was really hard too. And then the first doctor too, she's like, don't tell your husband when you're ovulating. She said that it can actually like affect their sperm production. Wow. How interesting. Yeah. So then some months I would try to not tell him. <laughs> But then like when it's the third day in a row that I'm coming on to him, he's like, are you ovulating? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's pretty obvious. You can't hide it. <laughs> and then I just have to be like, oh, no, I'm really into you. <laughs> when I felt like I just, I remember just being ecstatic because it had been so long, like, <laughs> I've done a ridiculous amount of pregnancy tests. <laughs> like I need oh. to buy shares in first response. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, the amount of times where like, I would just look at that test and like long for the second line to come up, you know. I've spent so much time doing that. So when it was there, I was so happy. I was bawling my eyes out and I knew like obviously it's always going to be in the back of my mind I think once you've gone through some kind of struggle you're never going to forget that you know which I'm happy that with Leo it was just pure joy <laughs> like I didn't have any of that and I'm grateful that I did have that experience because pregnancy will never be the same for me ever again and so yes you're 22 weeks now yeah we didn't tell anyone I think 
So Nick knew and I told two of my friends. That was it. I didn't even want to acknowledge it. Like I was in denial that, you know, I would see people that are pregnant and I would still long for that. You know, like it, I, in my head I wasn't pregnant. I also wanted to get to 20 weeks before we said anything because if I told my parents or our family before 12 weeks, even at 12 weeks, you know, my mom's she's had a miscarriage at 13 weeks. You were anticipating so, it. I don't know. It just takes all the joy away from it. And it, it's not, I mean, you, you're excited, but you're very reserved. So I just wanted to get to 20 weeks because then I'm like, it's pure joy, you know, like you're happy because you, you know, it should go to the end. Today was the first day that I've worn like revealing clothes, like that shows off my bump. And I, I did, I felt uncomfortable, like, mm. but I'm getting there. How did you feel the first time you felt the baby? It's funny because that's also my pregnancies have, well, this one compared to Leo have been so different because with Leo, I wasn't sick at all. Uh, I didn't feel him until I was 21 weeks because his placenta was in front too. Whereas this one, I felt like around 16 weeks. I didn't really know that it was that then, but I've been really sick this pregnancy. I think to a lot of women that can be like a really bad side of pregnancy. But for me, like every time I vomit, I I just vomited this morning, you know, and Nick is always like, oh, I'm really sorry. But I'm like, don't be sorry. I've wanted this for so long. Like... And it's also actually comforting because I'm like, if I'm vomiting, you know, something's happening. So yeah, it's been, it's been diff- very different, but I'm glad it wasn't reversed because if I'd had felt Leo really early and was really sick with him and then went to not feeling it and not being sick after having three miscarriages, I think that would just be like really yes add to my anxiety it's kind of like you want to feel pregnant in any way possible <laughs> yeah so what would you say to someone struggling with miscarriage or with secondary infertility i think struggling well with either really if you feel comfortable talk about it i've had so many conversations with people that i wouldn't have had if i hadn't had the miscarriages or struggled with secondary infertility sort of thing and and they've then you know when I share my experience then they've shared their experience but I know they wouldn't have shared if I didn't share first and it's actually crazy how many people around me have been you know either struggle with infertility or secondary infertility or miscarriage like it's it's so incredibly common so why why is why are people not talking about it well i think you know a lot of people wait until after their 12 weeks to tell people that they're pregnant so if it happens in the early stages people don't know about it and it's not really something you're you know, going to post on Facebook, hey, guys, I just had a miscarriage. Um, it, and I get it's a hard thing to talk about, you know. In what way do you bring it up? Just casually at work, hey, did you know I had a miscarriage? And then you're expected to go on working. Mm. I don't know. If you want to have that conversation, it's I think there's a, a sort of an environment and you might get really upset. And then if you're at work, like it's a little bit hard to continue working. 
Um, so it's not the easiest thing to say. Would you say it's also because people, I guess, kind of like the sonographer that you had, they don't count it because of the gestation, particularly if it is a first trimester miscarriage? Because I remember chatting to a friend who told me she was pregnant for the first time. And I was like, oh my gosh, congratulations. How far along are you? She said four weeks. And I was like, oh, wow. Like you're telling me really early. This was way before I had children too, by the way. So I had no idea about this world. And she was like, yeah, well, it still counts. And I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, it does. I was just, people don't ever do that. Like you, it was kind of a rule, this hidden rule. You had to wait until you're 12 weeks. And, it, and if you said it before, people kind of bitched about you. Like, oh, she told everyone when she was like six weeks. Like it's kind of like said as what an idiot. That that social rule is in place because of the potential to have a miscarriage. Yet when people miscarriage, there's zero conversation about it. Yeah. But everyone's sort of anticipating it in a way. Yeah. It's really bizarre to me. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I did want to ask you, though, about lack of support for your specific experience. What do you feel was missing or they could have done to make you know, it's not necessarily you're asking for a miracle, but what could they have done to help you in your situation? Just be empathetic. <laughs> Validate your experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it would have taken. That one doctor did it yeah. and it made such a big difference to me, you know, and I know that doctors, they probably see it all the time and they can't get emotionally attached to every person that they see but what's wrong with just saying look I'm really sorry that this has happened to you yeah you know you're yeah, human yeah exactly <laughs> that's what I think yeah when I went through the hospital the thing that helped me was just finding my own network talking about it and finding my own little network of people that were either experiencing the same thing or had gone through something similar. It's not that people that haven't been through this can't relate. It's just that the understanding is not as in in depth, I guess. You like, have like a deeper connection yeah, with this person yeah. because yeah, yeah, you have an instant I connection. Yeah. I always say like it's a club that you never want to join, but once you do, you just will only feel support from one another because you're all going through the same thing and they just want the best for you because you know you're in the same boat. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and it it has it's allowed me to connect with people that I wouldn't normally connect with. Like I don't really have anything else in common except that one thing. <laughs> and it definitely helps hearing that you're not alone. You know, because I also think there's a stigma around infertility. That's yes. also why I think it's it doesn't get spoken about enough. For for the first couple of months when we were trying after Leo, I didn't. In my mum's group at our I think Leo was eight weeks old. I was open about how I wanted to have more kids and I was ready to have another one. And then I remember it was about, yeah, probably the five or six month mark. We hadn't fallen yet. And one of the mums was like, oh, so how's everything go going? Because I remember you saying you wanted to, you know, have another one quite close. And I didn't realize until she said that, that I hadn't vocalized any of the feelings that I was feeling. Mm. And I just kind of like broke down because I was like, this is really weird for me because I'm usually, you know, an open book. Nick always jokes that I'm not even an open book. I'm just loose leaflets. I just lay it all out on the table. <laughs> 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 but it was really funny for me to realize that, you know, for someone that is so open that I hadn't been talking about it. And I think it is this thing like as women 
society has changed and it shouldn't be like that at all but it's kind of like that's what you're meant to do so if you can't do yeah it, absolutely there's something wrong with yeah. you it's like it defines a woman yeah <laughs> and I remember even before we had kids like I just felt it doesn't matter how much you've achieved in life once you've had kids like that takes you to another level it's like why is it like that why can't women and men be successful without having kids you know like they're pretty big achievements by themselves it shouldn't be overshadowed by procreating <laughs> yes I agree yeah I definitely agree. I mean I have a lot of respect for parents <laughs> I know how yes. hard it is but I just We're not diminishing think, that <laughs> yeah I just don't think that that should be where yeah your value is set sort of thing if you have kids or not what has this experience taught you and that you want others to know? I have a whole new appreciation. Like before this happened to me, we fell pregnant on the second month we were trying with Leo. And I remember that first month going by being like, oh my gosh, why didn't it happen? You know, like that was my experience with infertility, like ridiculous. Yes, my experience has been hard, but there are others that have had you know it a lot worse and have struggled with infertility for years and years and they don't have any children or you know that get told that they will never have children and that I just my heart is with them because it's a really hard thing you know so I think it's just an understanding and an empathy towards people and just being sensitive around the topic you know because it's not easy for everyone and others take it for granted. You know, maybe this happened to me because I, I'm i able to talk about it and I'm able to share my experience, you know. It can be a voice. Yeah, because, yeah, change starts with the conversation. People don't really know what to say. I know for me, getting my period every month was just as hard as having a miscarriage because at the end of the day, it's a baby that I wanted that I didn't get. Yet with infertility, I just found that people gave me so much more empathy after miscarriages as opposed to infertility. Like they would always acknowledge my loss if I said, you know, we've had a miscarriage or something. They would always be like, oh, I'm really sorry that that's happened. If I feel like, oh, yeah, we really want another baby. We've been trying for six months or a year now. Then I found it would be more like, oh, you know, it'll happen when it happens. You know, I want people to acknowledge that as a loss to acknowledge it for what it is. (laughs) It's not something to be fobbed off. And if someone is opening up to you about that, then I think it definitely needs to be acknowledged because it is. It's a a hard journey. When you did reach out to me and tell me what was happening to you, I felt for you because I remember you telling me how close you wanted your babies and that you had this plan. And I think it's okay to have a plan. And I, I think it's okay to be upset when these things happen. And I am with you. It needs more support. It needs more awareness. It needs way more empathy and support and love. And it's not fair and it shouldn't be happening. And I'm sorry that those practitioners were so awful to you that, oh, that gets me going, hey. That's like the one thing I'm like, oh, we're getting this so wrong. Yeah. I remember the second um, fertility specialist, I I was so pissed with him. (laughs) I was fuming and I'd wish I'd said something to him because I was like thinking about it for like three days straight after that. Well, because then you think like, oh, is something wrong with me because I'm 
I'm feeling this big emotion about this and this person's just kind of sitting there like it's nothing. And then you think, oh, like, should I, should I feel different? Like, it can be very confusing. Yeah. And like, how dare I care about my fertility journey and having another baby? How yeah. how dare I yeah. want to seek a second opinion and pay through yeah, the nose God. for like a half yeah. an hour appointment for you to just belittle me? So New Zealand have introduced bereavement leave for miscarriage. Yeah. Why do you as someone, I, I'm sure I know the answer to this, but I want to <laughs> Why do you, as someone who has experienced multiple miscarriages, think that this is a step in the right direction? Oh, I think just the acknowledgement of it, you know, that it's a loss. Doesn't matter what, I remember it saying, it doesn't matter at what gestation that you get it. And I think that's an amazing step in itself because it doesn't matter at what gestation you were, a loss is a loss and it needs to be acknowledged. And this is why we need more women in politics. (laughs) Yeah, right. I know. It's kind of like, I wonder if it only came in because she's a woman. I remember though, like my, the GP that was really good, I remember him saying to me, because he was asking me how I was. And then he said, this journey, it's really about you. Like, I'm sure that your husband is upset, but he's most likely more upset about seeing you upset. You know, this is something that is about the woman. And I remember him even acknowledging that because like, Amazing. You know, your partner, they do go through it, but yeah, they don't, they're not the one bleeding. They're not the one, you know, like that it's happening. I wonder if he had, his wife had been through it or something. Yeah. Because it sounds pretty close to home to him. Yeah. To say something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, yeah, really good. But I even think like I was lucky enough not to have to go to work, but I cannot imagine imagine. trying to put Mm. on a brave face while wearing a pad the size of a surfboard. And, like, when all you want to do is just stay at home and ugly cry and just feel sorry for yourself. So I think it's amazing that – and you shouldn't have to use your sick leave for that, you know, like – no. Yeah, it's it I think it's fantastic that they have that. And and for such a long time yeah. too because often, you know, women they they would even they can bleed for 2 weeks. So Yeah, well, miscarriage is loss and so I I think one of the biggest emotions that comes with loss of any kind is grief. You do grieve. So 2 weeks to grieve in any way shape or form that that looks on you I think that's very fair and very appropriate and we are living in 2021 and this is what we need and so much more, but this is a good start. Yeah, I also think then that opens up the conversation because people would maybe ask you why you had time off or your bosses would definitely know, you know, and that sort of thing. So it it would definitely open up the conversation more, yeah, which I think it needs to be. You know, I've had conversations where people, I can tell people feel uncomfortable or don't know what to say and it's often like Mm. older generations like I remember my grandma bless her but after my second I remember her asking she's like oh did it happen because of the move and I just remember thinking like this is in no way shape or form my fault and no like it shouldn't even be a thing that she said that but that's that that's like the the mentality you know when it's not like it's not it's never your fault when it happens um which I think a lot of people struggle with too they think about you know all the things that they've done or is there something that I ate you know like they just start you know thinking that it's them 
yeah, it's like this self-blame. Yeah. And so 22 weeks, you were saying that you still feel quite nervous and anxious about this pregnancy and you've only just kind of started to show off your bump. Yeah. And it's all kind of just becoming real now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Have you thought any further ahead or are you just kind of taking it day by day? Oh, yeah. No, I'm like (laughs) projection station all the time. (laughs) With all of them, you know, like, and I think it's a little hard not to, you know, you're pregnant Mm. and it's a little hard not to project into the future and think about the baby that's going to be at the end of the pregnancy, you know. So I've done it with all of them. And yeah, like, of course, like, I'm, I'm so excited to meet this next little baby. It's been a long time coming. you know. But I think my reservations just come around. Like, Nick and I, we talk about it all the time, because I feel like that's a safe space. You know, it's more like with others um, that I sort of, I know that sounds really funny, but I, I feel like I have to sort of wait to protect myself, you know, and even like, with people's reactions. Like, I know my mum was fantastic. I know for the second one, it was obviously she knew because it was only a couple of months afterwards. And, you know, when we said it was only like six weeks. And I remember it's also the second grandchild. So it's, you know, maybe not as exciting as the first. But I remember her saying like, oh, that's really early. Whereas this time around when we told her, I was... I was 16 weeks when we told her and she just like jumped up and like did this little scream and she was so happy (laughs) and she didn't even know how long how far along I was and I was so grateful for that reaction and then when I told her she was just like oh my gosh you're 16 weeks like that's so good (laughs) and that was like that makes me emotional I want I just wanted that happiness you know because it's been like stolen from me to have just that pure happiness so if I can wait then it's just you know then I will hopefully just receive pure happiness back (laughs) I think you're amazing (laughs) and you're super resilient (laughs) and you've totally got this 22 weeks baby will be here in no time yeah and I'm looking forward to hearing about your birth and how you go and again thank you for your vulnerability and coming on today and being a voice for those people that um, their experience will resonate with yours I know that this conversation is important and that's why I asked you to come on so thank you Sarah thank you for having me I've enjoyed it and I'm glad like I am really passionate about this subject, so I'm glad I had the chance to talk about it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.